WGN. It's Let's Get Legal. It's powered by the Illinois State Bar Association. And one of my favorite guests joining us today, Michael Leonard from Leonard, Leonard Trial Lawyers. Michael, how are you doing, my friend? Good. How are you? Nice to be back. You go to Graziano's yet or what? I did not. I'm sorry. I haven't I'm gone sorry. to your place either. Again, okay. So. okay. At least we're honest with each other. <laughs> We'll try it out. We were talking about shark bites a couple weeks ago, places that you've been all across the country, and you'll still write that book, or we'll just turn it into a segment here. Before we introduce our guest, our other guest, Michael, I'm so excited you helped get her on the program here today. I want to get an answer to the question of the day. It'll all make sense in a second. Oh, yeah. 26 states have one of these. 12 states have two. Nine states, including Illinois, have three, and three states have four. And James is on WGN. James, how are you doing today? Yeah, hey, pretty good. We're doing good here. What, what's your uh, what's your guess to the question of the day? Well, I thought it was uh, uh, judicial districts, federal judicial districts. And you are correct, James. Congratulations. Did you know that off the top of your head? Did you have to do some digging? Uh, no, I didn't. I just uh, I just looked at, you know, in terms of the size of states, and I knew that we, were, we, had, we had more than one in here, and it just it looked at, you know, knowing that a lot of states are fairly small, and so you, you, this would be logically something that each would only be one in some states, and uh, yeah. some of your bigger states where you would be, whereas where you'd have a, where you would be Two, have more four. than the yeah, all right, four of them like that. Logic has no place on this show, James, but I do appreciate you using it to get that answer. Hang on the line; you're going to win our prize, okay? All right. That prize is a $50 gift card to the 5050 Restaurant Group to be used at any one of their 14 fantastic establishments all over Chicago, including Roots Pizza and Westtown Bakery. And Michael Leonard, you can probably guess why I put that as our question of the day today. I wonder if Judge Palmar knew the answer. That's the big question. Well, why don't you go ahead and introduce her, and then I'll get her on the line. Okay. So for those of you don't who don't know Judge Palmar, I'll give you a little background to her. I learned a fun fact today. She was born in Tokyo. Mm-hmm. She attended Valparaiso University for undergrad. Okay, clear what's close by. She went to University of Chicago Law School, one of the top law schools in the country. I would make the arguments just behind Loyola, where I went. <laughs> okay. Uh, she then, after law school, clerked for the Minnesota Supreme Court. Uh, after that, she worked as a litigator in private practice in Chicago for a large law firm. She then became a judge, also known as an ALJ, with the Illinois Human Rights Commission, where she served for, I think, six or seven years. That's a body that handles only employment-related cases. Uh, she then became a federal magistrate judge, and ultimately in 1998, Bill Clinton, who was then president, appointed her to a, a full federal judgeship, and she served on the bench here in the Northern District of Illinois since 1998. And of no, particular note, in July of 2019, she became the first female chief judge of the Northern District in 200 years, Wow! Um, where she presently serves, and... Um, also, she presided over the George Ryan corruption trial. That's right. And she joins us now on the program. Judge, quite an introduction. Thank you so much for coming on the program today. Well, thank you for having me. Yeah, it's a thrill to be able to pick the brain of a federal judge live on the radio. Uh, obviously, that resume is quite impressive. But I like to get to know uh, you a little bit uh, behind the scenes a little bit before we dive into the heavy stuff. So do you mind going a little uh, rapid fire questions about, uh, about your life? Sure. All right. You sound so excited about this, Judge. Uh, <laughs> what's your favorite go-to junk food? I'm going to say coffee ice cream. Oh, that's a good one. A call, yeah. There you go. You got a favorite Chicago area pizza? Well, like any Chicago, and I love deep dish pizza. I like any deep dish spinach from any of the local 
Uh, that's a good uh, answer. I don't love spinach, but you put it in a deep dish pizza. I guess you could put anything in a deep dish pizza, and I'm going to probably like it. All right. Are you a Cubs fan, Sox fan, other sports fan? Oh, sadly, I'm a Cubs fan. It's, been, it's rough. <laughs> and, uh, of course, we all love Chicago Sky because, you know, they, they have brought us a championship. Hey. I've, I've been a Cubs fan kind of my whole life in spite of the fact that I didn't grow up here. Ah, me too, Judge. And your second favorite city after Chicago? Uh, it's a, I, I'm going to have three. D.C., Boston, or Santa Fe. Oh, uh, Santa Fe, okay. You're not on and on, Michael. You like those three choices? Oh, yeah, I love, yeah. Santa Fe's a very cool place Never to visit. Never been there. Yeah. 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 I got it to the list. And if you're not working, and I know you're working a lot, and you got a tough job, it would be a job that would keep me up at night. But for you, what do you do when you're not working? Well, I like to go for a run or a walk, sometimes by myself, sometimes with a friend. I love to read novels. I'm a part of a couple of different book discussion groups like to watch movies and TV series with my husband, and when I get time, I like to do, you know, little projects like knitting and sewing when, when there's time for it. Oh, that's cool. Now, do you watch TV shows that are uh, judicial, uh, that have any judge uh, aspects to them, or, do you, or can you not watch them because they're just not accurate to what's really happening? I think the fact that they're not accurate sometimes makes them entertaining. <laughs> I, I watch all kinds of stuff. Oh, that's great. Okay, that was great. i, I got to ask. Is this something you aspire to when you were young to, to reach this level, or is this even beyond your wildest dreams? Well, you know, I never, th- I don't think I ever thought of it as a young person. I must have thought about it when I was in law school, so I don't have any conscious memory of that. And I would say, yes, it's beyond my wildest dreams. I didn't think about it as a child. And my goal, you know, when I was a little a kid growing up, is I, I, I wanted to not be bored. And <laughs> I, I've achieved that goal. That That goal has definitely been achieved. Yeah. Judge, what was the gender makeup of the bench when you, when you first came a part of it in uh, in '98? Well, there were fewer women certainly than there are now. When I first became um, magistrate judge, there were, which was 1991, there were I think eight magistrate judges and four of us were women, so that was great. Um, as a district judge, the numbers have always been small. We're, it's, we're still majority uh, men, but it has certainly gotten better. It's really improved over time. I think today we have. Out of 22 district judges, 10 of them are women. And our magistrate judge group is about evenly divided between men and women. I think we have seven of each. Judge, what is what is a magistrate judge? I don't even know what that means. Magistrate judges are, are judges who are selected by the district judges to serve in uh, a variety of roles. They handle pretrial matters in all, all of our criminal cases, and they handle civil cases that we where, where we refer matters to them for rulings on, say, discovery or to help us settle cases. And they're also able to conduct trials in civil cases when the parties consent to proceeding before the magistrate judges. It's great training. Uh, I'm very happy personally that I had a chance to be a magistrate judge before I was appointed to the district court because it really was, was a, a great way for me to learn a lot about both criminal law and criminal and civil procedure. Which you cover in your courtroom in the Northern District of Illinois, correct? That's right. All of us judges, and this is one of the unique features of being a federal judge, is that we're all generalists. And by that, I mean a case of any kind, a civil case from you know Social Security appeal to a securities fraud action, criminal cases as well. Any of those cases can be assigned randomly to any of us. So we, we really do have to have a pretty broad reach. And Judge, it seems pretty surprising that it took 200 years for there to be the first female chief judge in the Northern District. Is that unusual nationally in terms of our district versus other districts in the country? The, the 
statute, there's, a, there's kind of a, a procedure on how to become chief, and it mostly relates to seniority. The most senior district judge who has not yet attained the age of 65 when there's a vacancy becomes the next chief. So there has been a number of other districts where women have been chiefs before I did, but it just happened that it took this long to, for me to bubble up and not have aged out by the time my moment came. So it is it's somewhat unusual, but, you know, we still have a number of districts where there are where there has yet ever to be a woman who has served as chief. And judge, is there any sort of limitation on how long you will be the chief judge? Yes. Uh, the chief judges serve for, from five to seven years and you age out at age 70. So I will age out when I turn 70. Oh, but if you were, let's say it was before or even after aging out, you can then still remain, you're still a judge. It's a lifetime appointment, correct? That's correct. I would. I, I will still remain a judge of our court. That's, that's right. That's interesting, because obviously the Supreme Court, if you're nominated as the Chief Justice, that is for life. You hold that role, which is, of course, interesting. And of course, which I didn't even... Talk, I, I was talking to a, a Supreme Court just... Uh, not justice, excuse me, a Supreme Court expert. I didn't realize that the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court, in addition to, you know, leading that court, was also kind of the top administrator of the entire federal justice system, that he, uh, as of right now, John Roberts, goes to Congress to talk about funding for those sorts of things. So do you have any interaction with him? He's not your boss, but do you have any interaction with him as he's kind of the top of the chain? Well, you're right that he is the he he chairs the Judicial Conference, which is the the body that is governing body for the U.S. courts. And yes, I have had the the honor of meeting and and dealing with Justice Roberts because I served on the um, on the Judicial Conference itself as a representative from our circuit and briefly on the on that conference's executive committee but those but those individuals do uh, meet with john roberts who conducts our meetings chairs the meetings um sends the agenda etc he does he obviously does have to speak to congress sometimes but other judges do as well so for example the chair of the budget committee who's actually in our he's she's actually in our court of appeals now judge amy saini has testified before congress with respect to budget issues other judges who have other responsibilities will occasionally be called upon to do that as well. Uh, so all of us are part of the, uh, a part of the governing effort, but certainly Justice Roberts is the chief. Interesting stuff. We have got a lot of questions coming in. I just want to preface, first of all, Judge, are you okay with me taking a couple questions with the parameters of obviously not asking about a specific case that's happening now or any political opinions on that end? Are you okay with me taking some technical questions? Sure, and if I if I'm unwilling to answer them, I'll just say so. so I like fine. that. <laughs> that's actually a general rule for all guests, but sometimes they don't feel comfortable doing so. I imagine that judge, you have no problem saying, you know, not today. Iridian, do you mind locking in the judge so I don't hang up on our valued guests, which I've done before? They're locked in, and we're going to go to the phone lines with Rebecca. Hey, Rebecca, you're on WGN. Hi there. Well, you got a question, right? Yeah, I've got a question for Judge Paul Meyer. Um, so being on the bench, I'm sure you have presided over cases where you've just seen a lot of bad lawyering or you think in your head, gosh, if I were the defense attorney, I would have done this or, wow, they missed something really big. How do you handle not crossing the line between you know, wanting to be an advocate as opposed to a neutral party and has drawing that line become easier for you over the years? Oh, interesting question. Judge? Very good question. And I, I will tell you that it is a genuine challenge. I think every judge would say there are times when uh, we consider an argument and think that's really not the strongest one that could be made made, made here. And, I, you know, I, I could do this better or other times where uh, it, it just it just seems like the uh, the client is not being as effectively represented as, as he or she should be. 
Um, I, I think it, it becomes a little easier over the years as you recognize that, you know, being a judge can sometimes be kind of a humbling experience. Sometimes we really don't know as much about the case as we think we do. And there might be a reason that a particular argument is not being promoted by one side or another that I'm just really not familiar with. If I feel there's a strong argument or something that is being missed that really has to be addressed in, in order for fairness, what I can do is enter an order saying I, the, the, the court would like to hear from counsel on the following issue. In other words, we can invite a discussion of an issue under circumstances. What I don't think is appropriate, what I try not to do is make the argument all by myself, just on behalf of some client, because that really is the responsibility of the lawyers or the parties. And it isn't fair for a judge to jump in on one side or another unless um, in, 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 in almost any circumstance. That's great. All right, Rebecca, thanks for the phone call. Yeah, thank you, Judge. Oh, I just noticed. Nice Rebecca. first name, by the way. I was just <laughs> nice name. Took me a while to make that connection. We got about 30 <laughs> seconds before the news, but I do want to get one comment in. Mary Ellen, you're on WGN. Hey, Mary Ellen. Yes. Hi. Good, good afternoon to all of you. Um, I just wanted to say how much I admired Judge Palmeyer. Um, as I explained to your producer, I have obviously have a double first name, and for about 20 years I was getting double summons to jury duty because I was on named Mary on one list and Mary Ellen on another list that they were drawing names on. Wow. So I got my more than my, my share of jury duty. And Judge Palmeyer was absolutely the, the best judge uh, that uh, I was ever a juror for oh wow in her in her courtroom she's just always so professional and always res- always respectful to people she wasn't hot dogging to show you know, <laughs> how much how much authority uh she had and she explained things carefully to either the you know attorneys or to the people who were being questioned or to the jurors and so that that was probably the, the only jury experience of far too many to remember <laughs> uh, that I can say that That's I really great. enjoyed. Mary Ellen, I appreciate well, the poll. And uh, yeah, Judge, I imagine you appreciate that too. I do. Thank you very much. That's great. Well, thank you for, for serving. For sure. All right, <laughs> yes, we got uh, Judge Rebecca Palmeyer. You don't mind holding on during the news for some more questions, do you? That's fine. And Michael Leonard here too. Well, these are good ones, Michael. Yeah, good well, stuff. Let's take a break for the news on WGN. Let's get legal powered by the Illinois State Bar Association. We're with you till three o'clock. Michael Leonard's still here from Leonard Trial Lawyers, and we've got the Chief Judge of the Northern District of Illinois, Judge Rebecca Paul Meyer. Judge, you still with us? I am. Thanks for hanging on through the uh, break. And oh, go ahead, Michael. Yeah, Judge. Uh, I know. I know the answer to this question. But we've we've done a lot of in, in Northern District. You've done a lot of. Uh, procedures to deal with the COVID crisis and, you know, restrictions upon where jurors can sit and what attorneys can do and move about and all that sort of stuff. How far do you think we are to being back to the old days in terms of conducting trials without really any COVID protocols? I would love to know the answer to that question. And <laughs> anybody out there with a crystal ball is welcome to, you know, let me know. Um, you know, we, we periodically think, uh, the, you know, the, the, the light's at the end of the tunnel and here it is, but then we get a little surge, like right now. There's a little surge in our numbers and things aren't looking that good. So what we're doing, obviously, is we're sticking for now with the program of uh, social distancing, masks, uh, hand washing in the building. We've got we're making special arrangements for our jurors. We'll probably continue with that at least for the next several months. One of the most important things that we've done in our court that other courts are not able to do is that we're testing all of our jurors 
twice mm. a week before they start and twice a week for COVID using a PCR test. Oh, wow. And we and we test our trial participants, the, the lawyers, witnesses who will be on the stand for more than a day, all our court staff. We anybody who's coming in for a jury trial is 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 being tested. And of course, within the court, we have a within our court, we have a vaccine mandate. So our our court staff is 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 almost completely vaccinated. And and I'm I'm happy to say that at least so far things have gone well. I, I don't like to make any right. you know firm commitments or promises because you never know what the what the future holds for us. But we really do take the problem seriously. At the same time we've got to keep trials going. That is absolutely has to happen. That's our responsibility and it's a responsibility uh, you know, to the rule of law. So we have been conducting trials and so far at least the protocols appear to have gone have worked reasonably well. All right. Let's go to the phone lines. Nick, I think you have a question that's related to that. Yes. Hi, uh, Judge. Thanks for coming on. And this is a follow-up question to Mr. Leonard's question. And it is, uh, I understand that there were no trials during the period of COVID, and there was a backlog. Has that backlog been worked through? And if not, when do you anticipate that's going to happen? There, there was and is a backlog, and we are working through it. Let, let me point out that we were able, we did stop trials in March of 2020. We resumed them briefly from August to about November of 2020, and then began again in April of 2021 to conduct trials, and we've been doing so ever since. Our pace right now of conducting criminal trials is just about what it was before COVID. We prioritize trials for ind- individuals who are in custody for obvious reasons, criminal trials. We're also we also working at the the, the civil trial backlog and, and I think we're making progress there too. The there's there's still a bit of a bottleneck because 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 we are as a result of the protocols required to pick just one jury a day so mm. far. In ordinary times we can pick we can pick multiple juries. Um, and, and that has slowed us down a bit. But again we I think we are making progress and once we can get to the point of choosing more than one jury in a day, particularly in civil cases, we ought to be able to to clean up the rest of the backlog with without too much difficulty. Interesting. All right, Nick, thanks right. so much for the call. Thank you. All right, let's go to Sammy. Sammy, you're on WGN. Hey, Sammy. Hey, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Uh-huh. Um, so I have a question. Uh, good morning. Uh, good afternoon, Judge Paul Meyer. So I have a question about something you were talking about earlier uh, with kind of other books or television shows. And, you know, this kind of came to mind because I saw that the sentence came down for the nurse from Vanderbilt. And uh, then I'm also seeing these other shows on Netflix, like Inventing Anna or The Staircase. I was kind of wondering what your thoughts were on what those shows do to people's perception of legal procedure and what the court system is really like. I feel like when people hear about those shows or watch them, they have a particularly visceral reaction and it's particularly polarizing. I was kind of curious what your thoughts were on what those shows do to people's perception of lawyers and jurisprudence. Great question. And a good drop of the word jurisprudence on the show. We that's, appreciate that's it. That's extra that's points. That's good, yeah. That's the three points for you. Rebecca, or Judge Spallmeyer, your thoughts? <laughs> I have the same concern that sometimes the, um, the, the way the court system is depicted online, the way investigators or law enforcement is depicted uh, the way criminal defense attorneys are, are, are depicted is it can be can create a, a false narrative and, and, and generate, I think, suspicion and cynicism about the way the system works. I also I would add to the list of, of shows that the caller mentioned. Um, you know, even these. So 
shows like Judge Judy in the, in, in the courtroom, the, the the small claims courtroom right. dramas that happen in, during the during daytime television, bother me because I think they they generate a, a an impression that it's okay for judges to be sarcastic and rude, and and I just think that's never appropriate. I mean, obviously, all of us have when we sat on the bench been become angry sometimes or felt sarcastic or wanted to roll our eyes. That isn't the way you ever communicate effectively to a to a courtroom, and and I, it it, it, it troubles me that people get the impression that that's what the legal system is all about. That men, many people have their sole exposure to the courtroom from what they watch on TV, and 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 I think that's unfortunate. You know, being a trial judge is is wonder. It's a wonderful honor, and it's great entertainment in a lot of ways. You, you see the drama of real life. You see you see witnesses. You see. Um, jurors, you get to see them, the reaction that people have to evidence, but things do sometimes go slowly in the courtroom and it's not always dramatic or, or, or um, exciting, right? Exciting. And, and I think that it's, it, it would, it would, in the old days, we had people we called the court buffs who would be sitting in the back of the courtroom all the time. I'm talking about a long time before COVID. Mm-hmm. I, I, I wish that would be happen a little bit more. I wish more of the public would actually come see what, what happens in the courtroom and, and see, you know, the way we actually do what we hope is justice. For sure. Judge, we've seen a more of a willingness, certainly in state courts, to have cases or high-profile cases televised. Do you ever think that'll happen in federal court? And do you think it would be a good thing or a bad thing? Ooh, good question. Hard to know. You know, the the, the argument against televising our trials is a matter of judicial conference policy. That's not a decision you make within the court. I think there have been some pilot programs with respect to at least certain kinds of proceedings that, that, that involve some closed circuit television. So we're tiptoeing into it in some in some ways. I, I don't I, I, I don't know what the future holds on that. I see pluses and minuses. Number one, the one I just mentioned, maybe it's a good idea for people to see what actually goes on in the courtroom as opposed to what, you know, the dramatizations we see on in, in movies or television. Um, on, on, on the, on the other side, I think there is a sense that people sometimes respond to the camera or want to uh, want to make a point publicly that they might not otherwise uh, engage, you know, activity in, they might not otherwise engage in. There's also obviously, of course, always a concern about the safety of jurors. In a high-profile trial, it may be that a juror is perfectly willing to serve and, and do his or her duty, but would rather not become a public figure. And, you know, we don't ever te- we'd never televise the faces of the jurors, but there's always the concern that something they do might become a matter of uh, a matter in the in, in the public eye in a way that they they wouldn't like. So I, I I think there are some arguments in in all directions there. For sure, uh, Judge, we're going to take one more break. You mind taking a couple more questions right afterwards? I'd be I'd be happy to. Oh, that's so great. More with Judge Paul Meyer and Michael Leonard. Let's get legal powered by the Illinois State Bar Association. No time for small talk, Michael Leonard. We got a lot of questions for the judge. If you're just joining us, we've got Judge Paul Meyer from the Chief Judge of the Northern District of Illinois on the line. Let's go with Gloria. Gloria, you're on WGN. What's your question? Hi there. I just have to say the conversation has been fascinating. Um, Judge Palmer, I practice in your jurisdiction, and when you got sworn in in 2019, I just remember like screaming from the top of my lungs so happy that we finally had a woman chief judge. So um, we appreciate you breaking that ceiling for us. Um, well, thank you. So, That's, it's an honor to hear you say that. 
uh, so many other female lawyers um, feel the way I do. So we just want you to know that you're a hero amongst many of the your colleagues here in the bar. But to my question, um, there seems to be just a real lack of diversity when you get to the federal court district in terms of minority community populations being represented on the bench. Um, specifically, I, as an analogy, the Air Force just last year um, had confirmed the first female openly gay undersecretary. And so under her tutelage, she was able to make a national push to try to recruit officers who came from Latin, Black, um, different uh, minority populations. So my question to you, Judge, is there a hope or an ability um, uh, from where you're sitting, which is amazing where you are, but is there a hope or a trend, you think, for more judges to be on the federal bench who come from diverse backgrounds? Great question. I, I do think there's hope. I think if it's never as rapid as it should be ever, there you know we, we should be we should be doing more and better at getting people from all uh, all groups who rep- represented on on the bench on the federal bench. Um, I will say this: we have on our court uh, done I think pretty well, especially in the last several years with appointments of. Uh, more than one Hispanic uh, uh, judge. We have a Taiwanese-American judge on our court. We have three black women. We have a a Pacific Islander. We have a man, a Korean-American judge. We we are doing better. Again, not not nearly as well as we need to, um, but I do think there's hope. I think as as time passes and there are more people involved as practicing lawyers, there are more in the pool. I know that that kind of promise has been made to people over the years. I certainly have heard it myself. Um, so it requires more than simply the waiting game. We have to be aggressive about pushing for representation. And I think many, many bar groups are doing exactly that and are having, you know, success, not, not, not as rapid and not as, as robust as we'd hope, but we are making progress. Right, Judge, um, yeah. we, we do. We have a we have an openly gay woman on our on our our court. We we really have made progress in a lot of areas where it's been slow. That's a great answer, and Gloria, thanks for the phone call. And I just want to add before anyone texts in, people are not hired or appointed because of the color of their skin or their background. They are extremely qualified, and they just happen to be of that. And that is an important thing that we went through with the Katanji Brown Jackson situation as well through these conversations. That's right. That's right. I mean, these are, these are people who are very capable and has been in the past overlooked and should not be. Exactly. Steve is going to call in. Steve, we got about a minute for the question and answer, so let's get it, Steve. Okay. Uh, good afternoon, Judge. My question is, what is your favorite uh, case you've heard as a judge, and what's your least favorite thing about being a judge? So best and worst things about being a judge. I know you can't particularly say a specific case, but Judge, go ahead and... Uh, and, and I'll say, for the record, that sounds suspiciously like one of my colleagues, Steve Greenberg, but, but oh, <laughs> you could answer that question, Judge. Go ahead, Judge. Uh, actually, I had a case years ago where I was able to order a school district to reinstate a third grader that had been expelled. Still my favorite case. Oh, cool. I, I feel good about that. And with respect to the, the hardest thing, the most difficult thing, I will say that my answer is the same as I, I'll bet you 95% of other district judges, and that is sentencing people. It is yeah. gut-wrenching. It's hard. It really hurts. 
You're looking in the eyes of somebody who is sometimes scared, sometimes very angry, sometimes just doesn't get it, and other times gets it all too well. And you have to make a decision that you know is going to be extremely hard for that person and extremely hard for that person's family, who the family who in, in many cases had nothing to do with it and is now going to be going to be paying a price. It is a very, very hard thing to do. And I think, I, as I say, I think almost all of my colleagues would agree with me that that that's the that's the toughest thing that we're called upon to do. Well, I can hear it in your voice how tough that is. Judge Paul Meyer, it has been a pleasure to have you on the program this afternoon. Well, it has been a pleasure, and I, I thank you for inviting me. Yeah, great stuff. Thanks, Judge. Yeah, appreciate that. Thank you. Michael Leonard, any last thoughts? What an interesting, uh, it's just so cool to peel back the layer there. Yeah, I really hope we can get to the old days where one of the things that Judge Paul Meyer did, was known for, is in federal criminal cases when the defendant finish their sentence, and then finish what's called their supervised release, which is like probation. They would appear in front of her, and she would get up and lead the entire courtroom, whoever was there, in applause uh, for the defendant who had served his time to the community and was now being restored back to the community. It was really a cool, moving thing. Interesting thought there. Michael Leonard, thanks for your time. I appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Great to see you. We'll wrap things up after this on WGN.